that weird scene of the South Korean official making the announcement of a summit by an American president. What was that all about? I don't know. You know that, that's not the way it's done. It is now. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I don't. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. A little bit. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From middle Pacifica with Radio you. in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on KYAQ on the Central Coast and Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, in Palinville, New York on WLPP, on Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, Red Bluff and Redding, California's KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive uh, Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Once again, just trying to make sense of it all. Uh, well, hey, you know, at, at least virtually no one is talking about Donald Trump's wildly unpopular tariffs today. <laughs> he did manage to distract from that. Or even all that much about his problems with a hush money payoff to a porn star. So that's sort of been backbenched for the moment. But, of course, uh, <clears throat> all of that could well change in the next few hours, in the next few minutes, as uh, as quickly as the narrative changed on Thursday night and again on uh, Friday. But uh, Thursday night, just as we got off the air, an envoy from South Korea, for some reason, announced outside the White House that North Korean Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un had invited Donald Trump to a meeting and Trump then immediately accepted that meeting without any preconditions or anything else, without uh, consulting his own people, without consulting his own secretary of state who was in Africa at the time, or uh, without consulting our allies in the region or pretty much anybody else. But you know what? We're just not in Kansas anymore. So, yes, uh, presidential historian Michael Beschloss at the uh, top of the show there. That is the way these things now happen. Apparently, that's and, where we are. And that is also the way these things are already falling apart. Had a whole bunch of stuff prepared uh, to talk about on uh, Korea, and we're go still going to, but uh, this is all changing by the minute. We will get to some of those changes in a bit, but let's start here. North Korea's Kim Jong-un joked about his image in international media while he was serving South Korean officials local spirits and cold noodles during their unprecedented visit to Pyongyang this past week. 
That, according to two South Korean government uh, sources reported by Reuters, during the meeting, Kim committed to giving up his nuclear weapons and told the South Korea officials he would like to meet U.S. President Donald Trump. That delegation leader, Chung E-Yung, told reporters at the White House on Thursday about all of this in what seemed to be a potentially dramatic breakthrough in nuclear tensions with Pyongyang. The North Korean leader, who has been repeatedly derided as Little Rocket Man by Donald Trump, was, quote, very aware of his image, the official said and uh, reacted to comments made about him in a relaxed, quote, relaxed manner by joking about himself from time to time. He does not seem to be all, all that bothered by being called Little Rocket Man, by being called names by Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, he might enjoy it. He might enjoy the attention that he is uh, being showered by the U.S. president. South Korean officials say that Trump and Kim now plan to meet by the end of May in what would be the first ever meeting between a sitting U.S. president and a North Korean leader. Tensions had uh, risen to their highest in years in 2017 following a battery of missile tests by North Korea before a detente that was championed by South Korean President Moon Jae-in during his country's hosting of the Winter Olympics. Uh, before that began to bear fruit. Yes, it is the South's new president, Moon, who replaced the previous hardline conservative South Korean president who was removed from office last year in a corruption scandal. It is President Moon who is really to thank for any movement towards peace, if in fact any of this turns out to be movement towards peace. Moon has been working towards that since the early 2000s, even while North Korea hawks were working to increase tensions with the North as they further developed their nuclear and intercontinental ballistic missile uh, programs, and as Donald Trump was threatening them with fire and fury. Kim told the visiting delegation in North Korea uh, that the moon could now rest easy at night, because Pyongyang had decided not to carry out nuclear or missile tests while these talks were ongoing. That, according to a Blue House official, Blue House is the equivalent of the White House in South Korea. Kim said that if uh, working level talks ever cease and hostility appears, that President Moon and I can easily resolve it with a phone call. He was referring to the hotline that the two Koreas are now planning to set up to connect Kim and Moon. It would be the first such hotline to be set up between the heads of the two Koreas. When the South Korean officials visited, no hard feelings were displayed. And Kim Jong-un was the first to tackle sensitive topics like in, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the resumption of, a, of military exercises between South Korea and the U.S. Those were postponed for a peaceful Winter Olympics. One participant of, uh, of the uh, North Korea visit said, This is when we knew that the efforts of North and South Korea taken after the Moon Jae-in administration had begun to pay off. All of a sudden, Kim was not as troubled as he used to be by these military exercises. Kim's administration had also taken note of what North Korean uh, of what the what North Korean foods that the South Korean officials had mentioned while his sister Kim Yo Jong was visiting Seoul during the Pyongyang 
Pyeongchang, I'm sorry, Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. So uh, she was paying attention. She became sort of the darling of the Winter Games. Yeah, she did. During her uh, her visit, the first time an official uh, a member of the Kim family had visited the South. Kim's administration uh, took note of that. And the delegation, when uh, the folks from the South came up, the delegation was served those uh, North Korean Specialties like hot pot on the first day and cold noodles, another regional specialty, on the next. I suspect the North's charm offensive will continue when and if, and that's now a big if, it was a big if when the day started, it's even more of a big if now, but when and if Kim ever meets with Donald Trump. If if they're smart... And they do. The the North does appear to be if they're smart, if Kim Jong Un is smart, the meeting is going to be over cheeseburgers and Donald Trump will be uh, will be smitten with him just from that alone. Oh, yeah. He'll be treated royally, I'm sure, because as other nations have learned, flattery will get you everywhere. All you have to do is be nice to him. Well, be extra nice and make him feel like he's extra special. Nearly 18 years ago, according to the New York Times, uh, David Sanger is writing about this. One of North Korea's most senior military officers came into the Oval Office and handed then-President Bill Clinton a letter from the isolated nation's leader, inviting him to Pyongyang. Vice Marshal Joe Myung-Rock told Clinton, If you come to Pyongyang, Kim Jong-il will guarantee that he will satisfy all of your security concerns. That was the message from North Korea nearly 18 years ago to then-President Bill Clinton. It was a remarkable moment. A North Korean emissary in full uniform at the White House in the Oval Office for the first time since the armistice, not the uh, not the peace treaty as North Korea would like, but a temporary armistice, that had suspended the Korean War way back in 1953. Didn't end it, it suspended it. Mr. Clinton at the time was cautious given the enormous complexity of verifying that North Korea would actually eliminate weapons to strike the U.S. as the U.S. had hoped and as this uh, vice marshal had had promised, all all of your security concerns will be satisfied. Bill Clinton thanked the visitor, sent his Secretary of State Madeleine Albright instead to North Korea. She had concluded that the North Koreans were, in fact, not ready to offer a full and verifiable dismantlement of their missile program. So President Clinton pulled the plug on any personal meeting in Pyongyang. If President Trump meets Kim Jong-un, the son of the dictator who made that offer to Mr. Clinton, the challenge of verifying that North Korea is on the way to disarmament will be far, far greater than it was nearly two decades ago, Sanger reports. In the years since, the North has tested six nuclear weapons and, according to American intelligence agencies, has 20 to 60 more of them at this point. Its missile program is now vast, including intercontinental missiles that may be able to hit the U.S. and mobile missiles that can be hidden in tunnels around North Korea before before being pulled out and launched quickly. Wendy Sherman, who was in the Oval Office during that visit back uh, in uh, in 2000 and had traveled with Ms. Albright on that ultimately unsatisfying trip, said diplomacy 
is a good step, but verification is the key. There would need to be, quote, site inspections everywhere, everywhere necessary as we negotiated for Iran, Ms. Sherman said. That was a small dig at Mr. Trump. Apparently, uh, of course, he has complained that the 2015 nuclear deal with Tehran left too much room for cheating. Kim is in the driver's seat, she says. He has many nuclear weapons and he knows where all of them are and we don't. As with much diplomacy in the Trump era, this one is happening without a full playbook. The usual approach would be to negotiate the details first, defining the scope of any agreement, any potential agreement, including fundamental questions like whether it would be limited to the nuclear and missile programs or whether it would include the North's conventional and cyber weapons as well. Under standard diplomatic tactics, a presidential summit would be held out for the end of such negotiations as the lure for the North Koreans to actually complete the deal. But in this case, the summit would come first. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson was in Africa and apparently not consulted before Trump accepted Kim's invitation. His advisors have expressed skepticism that this effort will go very far at all. They recall previous commitments to denuclearization uh, that have been abandoned by the by North Korea. So that is the big risk behind this meeting. If it happens, if it fails, two leaders who are acutely attuned to never backing down could find themselves back on the path to confrontation, reports Sanger. The past year of missile and nuclear tests have put Kim, by the estimates of Mike Pompeo, the CIA director, quote, within months of proving he could hit any American city with a nuclear weapon. That gives the North Korean leader a plan B that his father and his grandfather never enjoyed. So he's, he writes, the risks are many. William Perry, the former defense secretary under Bill Clinton, who handled the uh, perilous 1994 crisis with North Korea, asked, how could we possibly verify such an agreement for dismantling all of Kim's intercontinental missiles and nuclear warheads? He said, we don't know how many nuclear weapons they even have operational or under construction. We don't know where all of their nuclear facilities are. We have never implemented a treaty that counts warheads anywhere in the world simply because it is so difficult to verify, he explained. Our nuclear treaties with the Soviet Union and Russia counted missiles, not warheads. So he said it's a fundamental error to think that we could reliably verify a treaty by which North Korea agreed to dismantle all of their nuclear weapons. At least not at this point, at least not with having the preconditions, the pre-meetings before the two leaders meet. Perry on Twitter went on to say it is very encouraging that the U.S. is willing to have direct talks with North Korea. He says this is a major improvement over diplomacy that consisted of shouting insults at each other. Well, that's true. I'll say. Yeah. He says, but there are two key questions that must be addressed concerning this meeting. One, what will we talk about? That is, what does the U.S. expect to get and what is the U.S. willing to give? And two, what will we and North Korea be doing while we are talking? 
Perry says there is good reason to talk with North Korea, but only if we are talking about something that is worth doing and that could actually reasonably be verified. Otherwise, we are setting ourselves up for a major diplomatic failure. You think? I highly favor talks, he says, but such talks must be based on realistic expectations of what can be negotiated and what can be verified. There is a lot of folks talking about all of this today and a lot of folks uh, giving their opinions on what should happen, what will happen. And I'd like to be clear, nobody, and I mean nobody, actually knows what will happen in this case, not with this president. We don't even know at this point, and I'll, 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 be, I'll get to this, we don't even know uh, whether he actually will have this meeting at all. It's starting to look less and less like this meeting may occur, but that was just minutes before air because uh, even fewer minutes before air, now it looks like the White House is insisting, yes, we will have that meeting. So, in fact, nobody actually knows if he is going to meet. Nobody knows what will happen. There are a lot of experts speaking about all of this. And the fact is, nobody knows nothing. Even Donald Trump knows nothing. Well, he's exceptionally ignorant about all of the issues that are at hand in this. And he does have the tendency to make, you know, these dramatic pronouncements. And then the White House will walk it back or his advisors will step in and say, "Mm, he didn't mean exactly that. And then he reneges on whatever it was he said he was going to do and runs away. And then there's the question of whether he will even be the president by the time we get to May. Nobody knows that either. So basically what Donald Trump will do if he meets with Kim Jong-un, nobody can tell you. Because it's going to be based on anything that happens between now and the time that he meets Kim Jong-un. It's going to be based on, you know, what happens in the Stormy Daniels lawsuit. It's going to be it's going to be up to Robert Mueller and what happens with the special counsel case. What the White House has said, its policy of maximum pressure and engagement was designed to use sanctions to push the regime of Kim Jong-un to the negotiating table to talk about the future of his nuclear weapons program. But now that the North Korean leader has signaled a willingness to do that, it is unclear whether the administration actually has a plan for how to respond, writes Julian Borger over at The Guardian. Actually, it's it's not unclear whether the administration has a plan for how to respond. It is clear they do not have a plan for how to respond. Former officials say that the administration has spent a lot of time preparing sanctions and contingency planning for military action, but little or no time planning a negotiating strategy for use if Pyongyang entered into serious talks. So they've been planning to... You know, launch a war. They've been uh, working out. uh, They've been uh, increasing the sanctions. But if all of that stuff worked in some fashion, they apparently have no plan about what to do about it. The last remaining U.S. diplomat with experience of talking to the North Koreans, this guy by the name of Joseph Yun, well, he left. He left the State Department. He's been there for about 30 years. He quit last Friday. And the U.S. currently has no ambassador in South Korea, no ambassador in Seoul, since the White House withdrew the nomination of the other experienced diplomat that was available for this, Victor Cha. And uh, they have not nominated any replacements for Victor Cha. So Yun and Cha were advocates of engagement with North Korea. They were viewed with suspicion by this White House. 
where senior officials have argued for a military solution to the challenge posed by Pyongyang's nuclear and missile programs, writes Borger. Cha's nomination was withdrawn just a few weeks ago because he criticized, he dared criticize a plan to carry out this so-called bloody nose strike against North Korea, a punitive strike against one of their weapons sites under the premise that uh, you can go ahead and bomb them and they won't fight back in any way. He was critical of that, and uh, Donald Trump doesn't like that, so uh, his nomination was withdrawn. Pyongyang is said to have offered to suspend nuclear and missile tests while talks were underway. These are precisely the conditions that the Trump administration had been demanding before starting talks with North Korea. Philip Yun, a former State Department official now at the Plowshares Fund Arms Control Advocacy Group, uh, who was involved in negotiations with the North Koreans back during the Clinton administration, said that the main problem is that we don't know what the administration's policy actually is. There are still apparently respected Korean experts at the National Security Council and at the CIA, but the loss of Yun and Cha has pretty ha, is part of a much broader exodus of talent from the State Department, where the majority of top jobs remain unfilled some 14 months after Trump took office. But even those that are filled, Trump didn't bother to use them. He did not bother, apparently, to talk to his own Secretary of State. Jeffrey Lewis, uh, who tweets as arms control wonk, uh, he's a professor at Middlebury Institute of International Studies. He's a foreign policy columnist. He noted on Twitter on Thursday night after the bizarre announcement by South Korean officials at the White House that Donald Trump had in the White House driveway, mind <laughs> you. Exactly. He noted that uh, Trump had immediately agreed to this meeting with Kim Jong Un after receiving a personal invitation. And uh, so here was uh, his tweets on this. He said, North Korea has been seeking a summit with an American president for more than 20 years. It has literally been a top foreign policy goal of Pyongyang since Kim Jong-il invited Bill Clinton. He said, I wonder if Trump's aides have explained that to him or if in their toddler handling... They have led him to believe that this offer is something unusual or that perhaps he imagines that only he could go to Pyongyang. Lewis uh, tweeted, this is literally how the North Korean film called The Country I Saw, how that film ends. This is a North Korean film. An American president at the end of this movie visits Pyongyang, compelled by North Korea's nuclear and missile programs to treat a Kim as an equal. This is their fantasy. Yeah, that's their North this Korean propaganda been, film. Been that they doing have this for out. years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Lewis says, P.S. To be clear, we need to talk to North Korea. But Kim is not inviting Trump so that he can surrender North Korea's weapons. Kim is inviting Trump to demonstrate that his investment in nuclear and missile capabilities has forced the U.S. to treat him as an equal. Kim is winning this one. On an interview with uh, CBS News on a Friday morning, Nicholas Burns, who was an ambassador to uh, uh, during the Clinton administration, I think he was the ambassador to Greece, yes. was he? 
and uh, a former undersecretary of state and the U.S. ambassador to NATO under the George W. Bush administration. He echoed uh, Jeffrey Lewis's uh, comments, I I think, here uh, with his own sort of cautiously optimistic note on the potential outcome for diplomatic negotiations between the U.S. and North Korea, while warning that a face to face meeting is a gamble. Kim Jong-un is in a very strong position. He has nuclear weapons. So what are his motives here? He wants legitimacy. His father and grandfather did not meet with an American president going all the way back to the 1940s. He wants legitimacy. He wants sanctions relief. I think he'll, he'll, he'll be open maybe to negotiating some transparency about his nuclear weapons. I don't think he'll give them up. So for the president, our president, this is going to be about as difficult as it gets and a major gamble. Fantastic. (laughs) Donald Trump is going to do something that is about as difficult as it gets. What could possibly go wrong there? Now, all of that said, and I and I have some of my own thoughts I want to share here about uh, this uh, this meeting, this potential meeting. But all of that said, and with all of the momentum seemingly towards this meeting, apparently there may not be a meeting at all. At this point, according to the White House and according to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and the press briefing that just finished up at the White House on Friday afternoon, Uh, as Josh Marshall notes, the upshot of Sanders briefing this afternoon appeared to be to walk back dramatically the announcement on Thursday night that President Trump would actually meet with Kim Jong Un, a meeting by May, as it had been promised at a place to be determined is now replaced with a meeting at some place and at some time. The fixed time before which seems gone, at least according to Sanders. She also spoke of needing to see concrete and verifiable steps towards denuclearization for the summit to happen. And yet, from what we had understood on Thursday night, nothing like that was promised from uh, from the North. The only thing they had promised was that they would suspend testing while the talks were ongoing. And that the U.S. and South Korea could continue their exercises amidst all of this. That had been the thing that they had been uh, complaining about for years, these uh, joint, these for decades, these joint exercises between the U.S. and the South. And they said, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. We'll stop testing. We'll give that up. You guys don't have to give up anything. We'd like to meet you. And Donald Trump said, boy, howdy, I'm there. Go outside right now and tell them. Tell them. The reporters on the driveway right now at 7 o'clock at night. The South Koreans. Go yes. out and tell them. Not us. Not the Trump. <laughs> no. <sighs> In any event, uh, what was apparently promised was suspending further nuclear or ballistic missile tests, writes Josh at TPM, before the meeting and presumably in a subsequent period of, of negotiation or normalization. In the Trump administration, he notes, you can't assume that the press secretary actually knows what she is talking about or that she is speaking for U.S. policy, or that U.S. policy won't change in the following hours or days. But, he says, this briefing strongly suggests that the White House sees what happened on Thursday as a major mistake at this point, or a misstep, and they are now trying to moonwalk back as quickly as possible. Trump had agreed to the meeting without consulting any of his top foreign policy advisors, 
Uh, and uh, Marshall notes, he didn't just not ask. There doesn't even seem to have been an actual invitation. Now we are learning. Or at least that was not what the South Koreans believed they were coming to discuss. The president, uh, they were coming, they were supposed to meet the president on Friday. They came by on uh, on Thursday. They came by the White House to sort of de- uh, to debrief about the meetings that they had had, about the cold noodles that they were served. And then they were officially going to meet on Friday. But when the president heard that the officials were at the White House, he said, oh, bring them in. And the South Korean representative, this was Mr. Chung, uh, he had them. He said, bring him in. He brought him into the Oval Office and he proceeded to quiz him about the meeting with Kim. And Chung mentioned Kim's eagerness to meet with Trump. I don't know that it was an official invitation, but uh, you recall that I had said that uh, when they met in South Korea, I'm sorry, in North Korea, that uh, Kim had talked about, well, I'd, I'd like to meet Donald Trump. So Chung mentioned Kim's eagerness to meet with Trump, and Trump said, yes, let's do it. (laughs) And he sent people out there to go ahead and announce that we were going to do it. Josh notes the key point is that this was the product of presidential riffing with no guidance whatsoever. He goes on to add that all of this seems quite fluid. He says, I would not rule out the meeting. But it seems rather clear that the White House is now trying to uh, trying hard to get out of what the president seemed to promise and demand just last night on Thursday night. Now, since that has happened, does and uh, let's see, it was Jennifer Rubin, uh, Washington Post, a right wing blogger over there says massive called this massive damage control at the White House today. President agreed idiotically to direct talks with no precondition. Now the administration, she says, must now the administration says that North Korea must denuclearize first, something North Korea will not do. Hence, no talks, she says. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. We're supposed to talk about a process to denuclearization. Having them denuclearize first is not actually part of those talks. It doesn't make any It's well, moving the goalposts, which he often does. Well, I, I, now the White House is saying that uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was wrong, that we will have the meeting. So the fact is, nobody knows. Exactly. Nobody knows nothing, chaos, which is kind of my point. Yeah, chaos president strikes again. Yeah. And now, uh, do I have, should I take a break first? You know what, let me take a break. I'll come back with uh, some of my own thoughts here on uh, on all of this. And I do have some. Uh, and they may not be what you think they are. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back to talk about that. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence, because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. 
Just trying to make sense of it all. Did I mention that at the top of the show? I think I did. Uh, it is uh, not easy to make sense of what's going on here. Uh, as uh, the White House on Thursday night apparently agreed to meet with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un without any preconditions whatsoever after Kim Jong-un was said to have invited Donald Trump for talks, said that he would not uh, do any uh, ballistic or nuclear missile testing during such talks. So that all looked uh, fine and swell. Uh, Donald Trump agreed to that without asking any of his advisors, apparently. And as of Friday, the White House began walking that back, saying, oh, no, 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 we're not going to do that unless there is uh, unless uh, Kim Jong-un gets rid of all his nukes first, unless there's denuclearization first before any such meeting. So nobody knows nothing about this. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what will go on. Uh, And of course, many people have been very critical of Donald Trump for agreeing to meet at all, because I really don't think I I think that uh, he he saw this as a victory, Des. I think he saw, hey, oh, definitely. We've we've been so tough. We've been putting our extreme pressure. We've been promising fire and fury. And now they're finally willing to meet with us. He couldn't wait to get that news out. He he is desperate for some kind of thing that can look like a win, that can look like a victory, that can make him look like the big man. But I don't think he had any idea oh, that he? previous presidents have also been given those invitations by Kim's father and grandfather. They want they have more to gain from a meeting with Donald Trump showing themselves to the world as an equal. Yeah, on equal footing. Then uh, Donald Trump has to get out of this, although at this point, you know what? Donald Trump has a lot to get out of this, too, because he could uh, look less like a jackass and more like a diplomat out there meeting with his counterparts around the world, even though they are dictators like Kim Jong Un. But uh, so there's been a lot of uh, people who have been uh, very critical of Donald Trump about this. And uh, I tried to point out uh, in the previous segment, you know, how he doesn't know what he's doing, how he did this pretty much completely wrong. All of that said, I'm in favor of it. I would think it's a fantastic idea to uh, to meet with Kim Jong Un. And I'll explain why. Years ago. (laughs) <laughs> I was in, uh, uh, and this has been coming uh, to my mind uh, of late. Uh, the, the first time I was in Berlin, some years ago, decades ago at this point, uh, I had just arrived in Berlin, came out of the train station uh, into the uh, square there where it was uh, the Christmas season. There was a Christmas fair going on. It was very beautiful, very idyllic. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, a, uh, a march, a bunch of protesters, a, it was student protesters doing as they do in uh, Europe, were protesting something or another. I'm not even sure what it was. Well, you don't so speak German. so I don't speak German, so I didn't really know. But it was like, oh, students are protesting uh, in the middle of this uh, idyllic Christmas fair that was going on. It was very exciting. Uh, it was fun with the, with the protesters showing up. And then all of a sudden people started running and uh, running the other way, the other direction from where I was uh, w- walking. And there was a guy with a gun, 
an old man with a gun. And this was probably the closest situation that I was ever in, you know, a dangerous situation like this to, to a gun violence or something. This guy had pulled out a pistol and started wielding it around, all around him, was turning in circles, and everybody was scattering around him, right? This old man had a gun. He was screaming something in German. I don't speak German, so I don't know what he was saying. But obviously he was irritated. He was angry. Uh, at what was going on, and uh, he was, you know, kind of freaking out. And, of course, uh, he might have been crazy. He might have been just nuts. But whether he was nuts or not really didn't matter at the time. Uh, what mattered was get him to put down the gun, right? Because it was mm. a crowd of people, and uh, so there were some uh, who were, you know, trying to talk him down. I was, of course, trying to move away, uh, but they were trying to talk him down and trying to be very kind to him and very nice to him and say, give, give me the gun. Put you know, down, put the, down gun. the gun. Yeah. Try to de-escalate the situation, defuse the situation. Well, you might think, uh, you know, had this been a year or two ago, that crazy man with the gun threatening everyone uh, might have been Kim Jong-un in this uh, parable. At this point, that crazy man with the gun is Donald Trump. Now, I've been in, and I'll explain why. I have been enjoying over the past month or two uh, since this uh, um, uh, agreement between the North and South during the Winter Olympics to tamp things down. He would stop the testing. The, the, nuclear, thaw, in the, the thaw in the relations because brought about by having the Olympics in South Korea. This detente, not just brought about by that, but by the willingness of the South Korean president to reach out to the North Korean leader and, and vice versa. And because of all of this, we have had a thaw. I have been quite uh, let's say terrified over uh, <laughs> over the past year since Concerned. Donald Trump has uh, taken. No, terrified is, is probably <laughs> the right way to put it. Since Trump has uh, taken office uh, about what he would do, about the language that he was using, you know, a lot of people see him obviously as incompetent, which he is. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of bluster. Yeah, but he's dangerously incompetent. So those of us who live out here, maybe on the on the West Coast, we're a little bit more concerned than other people. I don't know on the East Coast and the Midwest about this saber rattling, this unbelievably irresponsible saber-rattling that Donald Trump had been doing with North Korea. And so, uh, I, I, literally, a month or two ago, when it seemed that, okay, they're going to, uh, uh, they have this detente during the Olympics, Do that means Donald Trump is not going to launch an attack, one of these bloody nose uh, bombings that he was talking about doing, thinking that he could bomb them just a little bit and that there wouldn't be any repercussions. I was literally in my head working out, okay, well, let's see. The Olympics are in um, uh, April, February. Uh, uh, February, and then the Paralympics are in March. So we have at least until that time when Donald Trump will not go to war. To me, uh, I've been counting those days. Uh, that has been good. And now with the... You know, it seems like with a potential meeting in May that we may have at least until May to go without an imminent nuclear uh, conflagration. So this announcement, at the very least, has been essentially Trump putting down the gun. It buys us time. He puts down the gun. To me, I think that is a good thing. Now, um, the, the fact is, I think that I'd like to think that it is harder to bomb someone who you have met in person. 
And if this meeting actually does come out, I be, uh, does happen, I believe that this is good. Now, it might not be good for the U.S. in the longer term. We might get played by the North Koreans. We might not get anything out of this. Donald Trump might make a terrible deal. He might make no deal at all. But in the short term, it will help to uh, for Donald Trump to put down the gun. I think that's a good thing. And then, of course, afterwards, I would like to think uh, that you don't bomb someone that you now know. That uh, Kim has proven to be to those who met him, maybe not to those who he's you know killed, <laughs> that he's he's in his imprisoned own yeah. in his own family, but to those who who meet him, he uh, he and his sister have come across as very charming people and rational. Donald Trump, uh, actually, when people talk to him uh, in person, uh, he is a charming person as well. So maybe these two can charm each other in some fashion, and that will help to de-escalate. We might not get a good deal out of any of this, ultimately, um, in, in longer-term uh, geopolitical, uh, diplomatic, and strategic goals down the road. But for now, it seems to me we are dealing with a national emergency. I say that probably once a day here on this show. This is a national emergency. We have a madman with a gun in the White House pointing it in every which direction. Nobody knows what he's going to do. If you could talk him down, if you can get that gun out of his hand, and if you can actually get him to meet the person that he was uh, most interested in shooting, essentially, in Kim Jong-un, I think that is a victory. And if we have to take a, a, a lesser outcome for the U.S., diplomatically, strategically, geopolitically, um, to me, that's better than going to war in the Korean Peninsula and what could ultimately be a nuclear conflagration. So... I say this is a victory. If it happens, I'm in favor of it. And yes, uh, if, if it means that we have to give credit to Donald Trump, his strategy has worked, fine by me. I'll take it. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Amen. Amen. the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. By the way, if uh, if you disagree with my uh, take on uh, th the fact that I think this is a good thing, uh, Trump meeting with Kim, if that actually happens, uh, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you as to why you do disagree. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Uh, maybe on our next show, we'll try to open the phone lines on some of this if possible. But I'd, I'd love to hear from you. Bradcast at bradblog.com. I think, um, like I said, I think it's hard to bomb someone you have met 
or at least it's harder to bomb someone you have met in person. Uh, and so I, I see nothing but upside here, even if it is ultimately uh, not what we would normally do uh, diplomatically or strategically uh, for the U.S. You know, it couldn't get any worse. We were already headed to war. Donald Trump was itching for a war. So if talks break down uh, and we end up going to uh, a war, well, that's kind of where we were headed anyway. Anyway, so bradcast at bradblog.com if you have thoughts on that. Um, all right. Something else entirely here. Well, sort of. President Donald Trump and his appointees have stocked federal agencies with ex-lobbyists and corporate lawyers who now help regulate the very industries from which they previously collected paychecks despite promising as a candidate to drain the swamp in Washington. Uh, a week after his January 2017 inauguration, Trump had signed an executive order barring former lobbyists. Remember this? For bar barring former lobbyists, lawyers, and others from participating in any matter that they lobbied or otherwise worked on for private clients within two years before going to work for the government. But... Records reviewed by the Associated Press show that Donald Trump's top lawyer, White House counsel Don McGahn, has issued at least, at least 24 ethics waivers to key administration officials at the White House and executive branch agencies, allowing them to do exactly that. One, for example, allows FBI Director Christopher Wray, quote, to participate in matters involving a confidential former client that while he serves as the FBI director. This is uh, there was a three sentence waiver that gives no indication about what Ray's conflict of interest might be or how it may violate Trump's ethics order, which he has been waived from actually having to follow. And they don't tell us why Trump's executive order on ethics supplanted a more str more stringent set of rules that were put in place by President Barack Obama back in 2008. Despite the fact that Donald Trump claimed when he issued this executive order that he was, you know, doing this to drain the swamp. Craig Holman, who lobbies in Washington for uh, government ethics and lobbying rules on behalf of the advocacy group Public Citizen. We've had Craig on this show many times. We need to have him back. It's been a yeah. while. He's always good on this show. He said he was initially optimistic when Trump had issued the executive order. He said, I was very surprised and at the time, uh, at, at the same time, very hopeful that he was going to take his pledge to drain the swamp seriously. It is now quite evident, he says, that the pledge was little more than campaign rhetoric. Surprise, like it never happened. An analysis by the AP shows that nearly half of the political appointees hired, for example, at the Environmental Protection Agency. Oh, of course. Under Donald Trump have strong industry ties of 59 EPA hires tracked by the AP over the last year. About a third of them, a third of them worked as registered lobbyists or lawyers for chemical manufacturers, for fossil fuel producers and for other corporate uh, uh, other corporate clients that raised the very type of revolving door conflicts of interest that Trump promised voters that he would eliminate. 
Just a few examples. Yeah. yeah, this is the revolving door. We saw this during the Bush administration. They they brought it up to a new level of high art, the revolving oh, door, bringing no in kidding. the lobbyists to then regulate the industries that they had previously worked for. The worst part, I think, that Trump has done is that he has raised it beyond that even more so. He's not only gotten lobbyists to have worked for the industries that they would be overseeing, but they also seem monumentally disinterested in any kind of regulation whatsoever. Eric Baptist is one of is the one of the top EPA lawyers, for example. He worked until 2016 as the senior lawyer and registered federal lobbyist for the American Petroleum Institute, the national trade group for the oil and gas industry. According to disclosure reports, he lobbied Congress to pass legislation repealing the renewable fuel standard, which is a competition for the oil industry because it's biofuels. This is uh, created uh, more than a decade ago to set minimum production quotas for biofuels to be blended into gasoline and heating oil and jet fuel. Baptist signed an ethics agreement pledging to recuse himself from any issues involving his former employer, including several lawsuits filed against the agency where he now works. But in August, Don McGahn, the White House counsel, quietly granted him approval to advise EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt on issues surrounding the renewable fuel law, the very thing that he had sued the EPA about. McGahn wrote that uh, he was exempting Baptist from the uh, ethics pledge because, his, because of his, quote, deep understanding of the, R uh, the renewable fuel standard program and the regulated industry. And he said that makes him the ideal person to assist the administrator and his senior leadership team to make EPA and its renewable fuel programs more efficient and more effective. <laughs> more efficient. That's what they're calling it. Jeffrey Sands previously worked as a top lobbyist for Syngenta, major pesticide manufacturer. Following a request from the EPA, McGahn determined that it was, quote, in the public interest to allow Sands to work as Truitt's, Pruitt's senior advisor for agriculture. Uh, the list goes on and on. Agriculture Department uh, advisor uh, Kaylee uh, Sachs is allowed to, quote, participate personally and substantially in matters regarding the dietary guidelines for Americans, which is a guide that offers nutritional information and recommendations. Well, McCann, McGann's waiver didn't offer much detail <clears throat> uh, into the potential conflicts that her, appo her appointment would pose. But other records show that she most recently served as the food policy director for the Corn Refiners Association. There it is. The trade organization representing producers of corn starch, corn oil, and high fructose corn syrup. And before that, she lobbied on behalf of Snack International, a trade association for snack food manufacturers. Now... She is going to, quote, participate personally and substantially in matters regarding the dietary guidelines for Americans. This goes on and on the list from the AP. It's just remarkable. Uh, drain the swamp. Seriously. Uh, one of the comment uh, commenters on uh, on the AP story uh, said this, quote, Mr. Fox, who used to regularly raid hen houses, was granted a waiver so that he could advise Farmer John and other area farmers on hen house security. <laughs> well, yeah. Without the need for a background check, previously required supervision, and in the event of lost or missing poultry, he would be allowed to lead investigations autonomously. It's kind of what it is. Well Pretty said. much the complete 
regulatory capture of the federal government in virtually every executive agency at this point. And once again, hard evidence of the very opposite as if you needed it, of the drain the swamp uh, promise that Donald Trump had repeatedly lied about over and over again on his way to become president and that he still lies about now, still claiming he's draining draining the swamp. But wait, it's even worse than that. Some of these guys are not only being allowed uh, to lobby, uh, to work on, on behalf of the folks that they lobbied for previously in federal agencies, some are being allowed to hold a second job and actually get paid for them even while they are working for the federal government. This is just amazing. Remember when Scott Pruitt, uh, the EPA head, had removed all of the scientists on the science advisory board? Yeah, they fired all the actual scientists so they could make room for industrialists. But what he said was it was because it was a conflict of interest because some of them worked with uh, schools that might get EPA grants and so forth. So, right, he replaced them with uh, people who work for the industries that would be regulated by the EPA. But apparently that was not a conflict of interest. Now, this uh, also from the Associated Press, a key aide to Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Scott Pruitt has been granted permission to make extra money moonlighting for private clients whose identities are being kept secret. A letter approving outside employment contracts for John Conkus, signed by an EPA ethics lawyer in August, uh, was released this past week by Democrats on the House Energy and Commerce Committee. The ethics official noted that Conkus, that his outside contracts presented a, quote, financial conflict of interest and barred him from participating in matters at EPA that would have a direct and predictable financial benefit for his clients. Pruitt named Conkus, a Republican political consultant, to serve as the EPA's deputy associate uh, associate administrator for public affairs. His duties have included signing off on hundreds of millions in federal grants. The letter gave Conkus approval to work for at least two clients at the same time that he's doing this. Those names, however, were blacked out by the agency before a copy was provided to Congress. So even Congress doesn't even get to know. Right. Citing a privacy exemption more typically used to protect personnel records and medical files, they blacked out who this guy is working for outside of the EPA at the same time that he is approving all of the grants that go through the EPA. The letter said the caucus was also expected to take on additional private clients, advising them about, quote, strategy, mail and media production. He's a political consultant. He's working as the deputy associate administrator for public affairs. And he is signing off on hundreds of millions of dollars in federal grants on behalf of the EPA, even while he's allowed to work a a night job. He's able to moonlight. Well, we presume that he's able to moonlight. We don't know if he's going to be doing it on the taxpayer's time and on the taxpayer's dime. We don't know. Well, we know that he's going to be doing the work. Yeah. When he's going to be doing it, we don't know. And how will we ever know? And for whom? We don't know. We have no idea. His taxpayer-funded salary, by the way, for his full-time position at the EPA is about $145,000. So it's not like, you know, he's a... He's an underpaid uh, federal government worker who's got to take on extra work. 
So he's getting paid already pretty decently, $145,000. Prior to joining the Trump administration, Conkus had worked as an executive vice president for Jamestown Associates, a political consulting firm. According to the firm's website last year, Conkus, quote, worked on the ground tirelessly to help President Trump win Florida. He also served two years as the chief of staff to the former, former Florida lieutenant governor, Jennifer Carroll, she is a Republican, and she was forced to resign back in 2013 over consulting work that she had previously done for a scam veterans charity that state and federal prosecutors said had laundered more than $300 million in proceeds from illegal gambling parlors. That was one of the last guy, last jobs this guy had, and he's being allowed to secretly work for someone. Yeah, who he's, knows? he's a Republican political check, operative. Check the casinos. He might be in there. His responsibilities have included reviewing and approving all EPA grants prior to uh, being uh, awarded to help ensure that they, quote, adhere to the policies and principles of the current administration, according to his online resume. Um, he, by the way, you'll be happy. You'll like this. Does uh, Washington Post had reported in September that Conkus had been scrutinizing grant applications for mentions of climate change, which he reportedly refers to as the double C word. Oh, boy. He's not the only one uh, who gets that uh, moonlighting job. Uh, another one at the EPA has uh, done it as well. Another Republican political consultant has been granted this approval. Uh, despite the fact that uh, this guy, uh, Dave Patrick Davis, was accused two years earlier of defrauding a conservative super PAC, uh, which was funded by an elderly oil tycoon, he too is allowed to hold a moonlighting job and doesn't have to tell anybody who he's actually moonlighting for. Just another day of the drained swamp that is Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., all right, that does it for us. we got to get out of here. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. Uh, as noted, uh, you can drop me email on anything we talked about or you'd like us to talk about. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. And uh, if you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. While you're there, please Stop by bradblog.com slash donate because we don't have a moonlighting job. You are the only thing that keeps us on your public airwaves. So thanks to those who have um, subscribed or donated at bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.